bet they're really getting confidence now. All right, everyone, welcome back to another episode of Cuddy and the Cooge on Sports. We are here in our downtown Saratoga apartment studio, getting ready to bring on another guest, loving the uh, miserable rainy weather on May 2nd, right, Cuddy? Yeah, it's been not not good at all. I mean, we uh, just spring is spring has not sprung here in upstate New York, but uh we have had a couple of good days and it looks like it looks like sunshine ahead, but you know, it it really sucks and anybody who lives in a climate like we're in can relate. It sucks when you're uh you get teased with a couple of good days and then you get some misery after that. So. Ex- exactly. So <laughs> But uh we do have another great guest today and um as always I'm gonna turn it over to the cuddy to bring him on for us. Yeah, and this this will definitely brighten up the day here, and um, it's it's really nice to reconnect with this guy. Um, go way back to my Iowa State days, and uh, I, I had a guy tell me actually uh, another coach that I stay in touch with, but you know, when you're in the business, you don't always have the opportunity to stay in touch with people as much as you would like. And th- this coach told me. <laughs> Uh, Marvin Menzies, who just got the head coaching job in basketball at the University of Kansas City. And I reached out to Marvin and said, hey, congratulations, blah, blah, blah. And he texted me back and he said, thanks a lot, Cuddy. I appreciate it. He said, I really appreciate you. You're, you're one of these low-maintenance friends. You know, like, I don't really bother people or bother him or anybody until... Well, you didn't until I forced you to start this podcast. Well, I know, but... Start uh, bothering people. <laughs> I, I reached out to Marvin like that, and, he's, and I like the term low-maintenance friends. So that's kind of the guy that we have here today, Larry Corrigan, who was the head baseball coach at Iowa State University from 1979 to 84, and that's where we met when I was a graduate athletic trainer there, and and Larry's, we're going to talk a lot about his career, but just also, he was the head baseball coach, but Larry was also a baseball player at Iowa State. He was a three-time All-Big Eight player, a three-time All-American, and during his time there, they won two Big Eight championships. Um, so Larry, uh, it's really good to reconnect um, as a low-maintenance friend, I guess. That's what what we call it these days, and uh, thank you for taking the time to to be on Cuddy and the Cooge. Yeah, Jerry, no problem. And uh, I have followed your career for 30 years with behind the scenes. <laughs> well, and I, and I appreciate that. And I, uh, I, you know, I also kept up with your career through our mutual friend, Rick Wesley. You know, we would always talk about, every time I talked to him, we talk about Iowa State. He'd always bring your name up and, and what you're doing. And I know, uh, uh, you, you just finished, like myself, a very illustrious career, uh, long career as a scout with the Minnesota Twins. But before we, you know, get into that a little bit, why don't you tell our our listening audience a little bit about your background? I mentioned you played at Iowa State, but what'd you do after that to end up getting into the position of being the head coach at Iowa State, and then from there, how did you get into Major League Baseball? Well, I grew up in Illinois, uh, right off Interstate 80, and then uh, I went to Iowa State, and I didn't know how good I was. I didn't know how much talent I had or didn't have, but I was fortunate to go to Iowa State, and we ended up uh, winning two Big A championships, and it ended up being a perfect match for me. So then when I left Iowa State, I went and signed with the Los Angeles Dodgers in 1972, and I played there for about six years, and then I went to the Twins, and then uh, I had a chance to go back to Iowa State and start as a college coach, and I did, and that's when I met you. And then I left there, Iowa State. Uh, I was trying to win as many games as I could and be the best coach that I could, and Somehow I wasn't going to get it done like I imagined. So I had a chance to go to California 
and worked for Augie Garrido at Cal State Fullerton. So now I'm in one of the best baseball programs in the country and working for the maybe one of the better coaches in the country. And then I was there, and then I went and I joined the Oakland Athletics for one year, and then I started about a 30-year career with the Minnesota Twins. And uh, as I spoke to you earlier, Jerry, I had a stroke in May of 16, and I've been retired, unable to perform, uh, 16, 17, and 18, and then I retired in 19. So I am down here in Fort Myers, Florida, which is the uh, spring training facility for the Twins. And I used to work over there every day, work in the minor leagues. So it just made it easier to live here than live in Iowa or Minnesota. And then the other thing that just caught my attention when you guys were talking about the weather up there in Saratoga, <laughs> the weather has just changed here. And instead of being beautiful winter weather, it's turned up a little heat and now we're getting the rain. So uh, our complaint is that it rains too much and it's too hot in the summer, but that's okay for me. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> well, Larry, okay. So before we, we, I want to, you know, ask you some more questions about the latter part of your career, but I'd like yep. to go back and uh, ask you a little bit about your career as a collegiate baseball player. So first off, um, obviously, well, where did you get your interest in baseball and how did you get started before getting to college? Um, my family, my father, my mother, my sister are fanatics and are St. Louis Cardinals fans. So I've been a baseball fan for 70 years, you know, and uh, I had an opportunity to go to college because I was okay. And I was set to visit Illinois State University. And all of a sudden, my mom and dad were coming back from Kansas City, and they stopped at Iowa State. And uh, they said, okay, let's go back. So we they got home to Illinois and we drove right back to Iowa state and, uh, I chose to go to Iowa state. So that's how I got there. And what, what position did you play? Uh, that's a crazy question. Cause <laughs> I was a pitcher and I was a catcher. Okay. So I did both and I quote did them legitimately. So <laughs> I broke the record at Iowa state in the 70 when we were on our way to the World Series with the most wins in the history of the Big Eight Conference during league play. So I beat all seven teams, and then I beat another team twice. So I got eight wins. And we played in the College World Series. That was good as a sophomore, and we went to the playoffs as a junior. But retracking, after my freshman year at Iowa State, I went to the Central Illinois Collegiate League, and I played there two years. And then my junior summer, I went up and played in Anchorage, Alaska. And we ended up winning the semi-pro World Series, which takes place every year down in uh, Wichita. So that was a big deal. And the thing that's kind of amazing, and it's going to sound like I'm bragging, which I probably am, <laughs> that... In minor league, which is eight years old, we won the league. And then when I was 9, 10, 11, and 12, we won in Little League. And then we won in Pony League. <laughs> and then we went to the state tournament. And I was voted the MVP of the Illinois State American Legion Tournament. Wow. So that's where I got found. Right. And then Iowa State talked to the scout, and he said, there's a kid in Mendota. You want to maybe get him? And they did. But Iowa State was the right place for me at the right time in my career. And I've got friends and I've got acquaintances that are lifelong friends. Yeah. I wonder if that somehow like seeped into your blood and that's how you ended up becoming a scout because of you being scouted in that way. Yes, that that was something. I was either going to be a coach or involved in baseball some way. Right. And I was out at Fullerton, like I told you, and then I had a chance to go with Oakland for a year. 
and I was the West Coast supervisor. And what that means is anything in the western third of the United States, we have area scouts, like our Arizona person lives in Arizona, but he's got Vegas or Nevada and Colorado and Utah. And then the other guy's got Southern California and the other's got Central California and the Northwest four corners. So what I would do as a supervisor is I would go see their best players. So basically what I'm doing, Megan, is I am going out and looking at the best players on the Western portion of the United States. And then later in the spring, I would travel all over the country to compare this pitcher in the West to this pitcher in the East to this pitcher in the Midwest. And that's kind of how my job was. And then I, after a few years, I became the scouting director, which means you're in charge of the whole country. And there was a West Coast supervisor, a Midwest supervisor, and an East Coast supervisor. And I would go see who they told me to see. So that's a little bit about the traveling and the job as a scout. Yeah, Larry, I, I was going to, you know, that I'm glad you touched on that because I think for our audience, you know, a pro scout, you, you can say that and like, what do you really do? But I, I know, you know, all the, the, you know, I played college baseball for two years at Marietta College in Ohio. But, you know, same thing at UNLV all the years I'd go to the baseball games there. You know, when I was at Iowa State, I'd go to the games, you know, wherever. And you always see these guys in the stands and they're scouts. And you always sit there and think, well, what is that job like? But, you know, and then that movie came out, Moneyball, with all the stats and things yeah. like that. Yeah. Um, but it, it's, it's a very detailed, uh, you know, I'm sure you've sat through millions of games and watched millions of tape, watched millions of, you know, catchers, pitchers and everybody. Uh, so it, it's a, it's a tough job to be able to dwindle down these thousands of athletes to find the best ones at the end of the day and make the right decisions. Am I not correct? Yes, it's tough. Every time you have to make a decision whether you would take Joe over Jim. They ain't tied. They're not equal. They're not the same. You got to go either Joe or Jim. And then the next day you go out and see three players at Cal Berkeley or something. Now you got to stick in Johnny, Jimmy, and Bobby. You know what I mean? So all of a sudden right. within two minutes you've got five. Right. And I want to touch one thing before you get too much further. I didn't know you went to Marietta College. I did. But I know I know Don Shalley, and John Shalley was a graduate assistant of mine at Iowa State. Did you know that? I did not know that. Yeah, Don Shalley's son coached for me at Iowa State. And for you people out there in the listening audience, Marietta College has probably got the best Division II or program in the in the United States. Division Three, actually, yeah. Okay, Division Three, mm -hmm. and they're the best in the country. Yeah, it was a great experience for me, Larry. I, I was a lot like you. Um, I never, obviously, didn't have the career that you had there, or you know, no opportunity to make it to the major leagues. But I, I had a. A, a good hometown friend. I grew up in a little town, Monongo, West Virginia. And, uh -huh. um, this gentleman, he was a scout, a longtime scout with the Chicago Cubs, a guy named Frank DeMoss. Sure. And for, he was a family friend and, you know, I was being recruited. Um, didn't really want to play football, but that's most of the people recruiting me were, you know, to play football. And I, you know, I was five, nine, 180 pounds. And I'm like, you know, and I, I had a great career in high school and all that. But Frank DeMoss talked me in. He said, listen, Jerry, if you want to really know how good of a baseball player you are, you know, that I've talked to um, Coach Shally at Marietta College, and I'd like you to go there and visit. So I did. And I met Coach Shally and I played for two years. And then I transferred because number one, the academics there were leading me nowhere. <laughs> I mean, uh -huh. It's a tough academic school. It's a very good school. 
and I had no idea, you know, what I wanted to do. And then my going into my, I guess it would have been the fall season of my, no, the fall season after my freshman year, you know, you have that winter kind of fall thing. Yeah. I really hurt my shoulder and I just couldn't get it right. And I lost a lot of arm strength and, and I, I played second base. So long story made short, I, um, at the end of that year, I went in and talked to coach Shelley and told him, you know, Hey, I'm, uh, you know, I'm thinking about leaving and, you know, this and that. And, and, and you know, he was really good and actually offered, he said, you know, I'd really like you to stay here and, you know, be a manager or, you know, be involved in the coaching end of it. Um, and I gave that some thought too, but I ended up transferring to West Virginia because I wanted to, you know, move on and get in. And I, that's how I got into athletic training. So gosh, that's a small world. I, so his son was there when I was there. If you, if, yep. Yeah. Isn't that crazy? I didn't even, you know, I never put, to, never knew that, uh, to be honest, yeah. that's, that's too bad. But yeah, Don Shally, man, he was, he's like a legend at Marietta. I mean, he's a legend in the coaching business too. Of course, yeah, he's sure. passed away, but yeah. Wow. It's a small world. But before I forget, I'll tell you another small world. When I was reading your bio, um, and it joggled my memory. And as you know, our memories aren't as good now as they <laughs> used to be. But I, when I said, saw that you were at Fullerton in 85 and 86, I'm like, damn, I, now I remember I came to, a, you, Fullerton was playing somebody. We were in town for a basketball game against Fullerton at UNLV. And I yeah. walked over from our hotel to the field and I found you, you know, I, I came and said, Hey, Larry, how you doing? Blah, 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 blah. I, I don't know yeah. if you remember that. I barely I remembered do. it until I, I saw that you coached at Fullerton. <laughs> well, the UNLV, they would have some crowds. other, other basketball games. They wouldn't have very many people at Fullerton. Yeah, I know. <laughs> yeah. It's we amazing. had a tendency to do that. We sold out the whole, uh, that, that whole, uh, what was it called? PC2A at one time, and then yeah. it was the Big West. I mean, we sold out all those gyms for those schools. <laughs> oh, yeah. You know, it's amazing how uh, the Iowa State thing or the University of West Virginia or wherever, but college basketball is good in California. They just don't draw. Yeah. Uh, they finally started drawing this year at, at UCLA again. You know what I mean? Mick Cronin went in there and Got them a little excited, but it's it's hard to get fans in California basketball. Yeah, it really. I is. always used I always used to say that uh, Fresno State is about the legitimate college in the Midwest. You know what I mean? Where they had a fan base and they did things, and I might be wrong, but that's how I perceived it. Yeah, no, Fresno State had a great following all the years we were in that league. You know, pretty much all their sports. Uh, yes. You know, the fan base up there was really, really strong. And, you know, I mean, obviously Fullerton and Pacific and Long Beach and some of those schools, it was hit or miss. But um, but Fresno consistently, you know, yeah. whether they were winning or losing, like when we'd go up there to play football, they'd always have a pretty decent crowd. You know, it was, it was it's yeah. a, it's a, and they had good facilities, too. Uh, at the They time. had a good baseball field and they were ahead of people in the baseball with Pete Biden you know, and doing it and stuff like that. So they did a good job athletically. Yeah. And, and, um, well, you know, going back to your year at Fullerton though, but you know, Fullerton obviously was the cream of the crop on the West coast during that time. I mean, great coach, you know, and, and, uh, they, they, you know, went to the college world series. I know a few times and, you know, really good program there. Um, and you know, once they, once that league, all those schools except UNLV and New Mexico State, I might be missing one, they all dropped yeah. football, you know, and yeah. and, uh, and then that league kind of came predominantly like either soccer or baseball, and, you know, they tried to build up basketball. So uh, once football went out the window, we, you know, obviously at UNLV they shifted gears and we, you know, moved into different conferences and stuff. But I always liked that league. It was a lot of great competition. You know, a lot of people – really had no idea how good some of those teams are if you really weren't, you know, vested into that part of the country. But there were some really good teams, you know, whether it be baseball, softball, or basketball, 
that played in that conference and still do to this day, you know? Yep. Women's sports, too, were very good in that league. Yeah, very much so. The so, softball team at uh, Fullerton was competing for a national title. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So, Larry, I would like to, you know, since you spent the majority of your career as a scout. Yeah. And like like my dad said, I, I feel like that is a job that that a lot of people, including myself, might not, you know, fully understand what exactly that looks like. And you, and you laid it out for a little bit for us. But can you give us a, an idea? I'll, I'll give you my scouting lecture in about two minutes. Okay, let's hear it. <laughs> I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say that what you do, first of all, is you do the thing that anybody would do, and that's look at the body. So when they get off the bus, you're looking at them, boom, 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 you know, and then all of a sudden you say, oh, that might be him. And it, you used to test yourself, you know, if you could pick him up. So that first thing is looking at the body. That's not scouting. But the first thing you do is look at the body. The next thing and the five things I'm going to tell you, if you want to write them down, you can do it. You'll be a scout next week. <laughs> um, is Tools analysis. Can he run? Can he feel? Can he throw? Can he hit? Can he hit with power? So you need to evaluate every one of those tools. All right. Second thing is statistical analysis. Now, for a guy down there in Covington, West Virginia, the statistics don't mean much. But a guy out in California plays at Fullerton, you can see they hit 25 home runs. It means something. The next thing, and this applies, Jerry, to basketball and football, role. What role is this person going to play offensively? He's going to hit at the top of the order. He's going to hit at the middle of the order, or he's going to hit at the bottom. That's three distinct things. And then figure it out. Defensive analysis. He can play, oh, He's left-handed. So he's left-handed. He's got to play first or the outfield. How big is it? Ooh, he's a little guy. Okay, he better run. So that's how you narrow it down. And the last one is tool statistic role makeup. Here's the key one I think, Jerry and Megan, that people miss on and or miss on in evaluation. Uh, makeup analysis. As a good person, Jerry, you were a good guy. You were a nice worker. You were a good student. You were a good friend. Those are general makeup traits, something that you like, and that's what a friend is. But now, an aggressive hitter, a passive hitter, aggressive runner. Ooh, boy, he's a passive runner. He can run like a deer but he's afraid to get off first base. Yeah. And that would be like an example of Greg Gagne, who played for the Twins for years. He was, he was a very good, excellent runner. But when he was on first, he didn't steal and he didn't get a big lead. And then there's another one that comes to my mind. He used to walk all the time. So he was selective as a hitter. And in the outfield, he was the most aggressive thrower and fielder. So people have different personalities with each trait. And then the last one, tools, statistics, role, makeup, and then risk. Are you going to give that kid at UNLV first round draft? Mm, now I answered it another way. Are you going to give that kid $6 million? Ooh, that's risky. And now you start tabling them down to where you think he fits. But the guys that are the best, they're going to get the money. And then the last thing that you should be writing down, all you people out there, is a worst-case scenario. And that is, oh, he's going to hit. He's going to throw. He's going to run. He, ooh, he didn't hit. Now what do you have when he doesn't do what you bet your dollar on so there it is tools statistics role makeup risk and worst case scenario well that makes sense but um but how do you become a scout like 
you know, obviously with other things you like apply for a job, like if somebody wanted to be a scout, where would you even start? Uh, Jerry would start by calling Frank DeMoss and say, Hey, what, you know, where can I go? Who do I know? Whatever. Right. Yeah. And then somebody that doesn't have them ties, just being around the park, somebody might see you. And then you kind of inquire if there's somebody there, but they're not going to be coming to scouts aren't going to be coming to a game in Iowa very often, you know? Yeah. So you got to know people. And then the one that people are doing now, Megan, is they're going to scout school. Major League Baseball puts on a scout school. And that you could go to that scout school. It doesn't matter if you're male or female. And then they go out to Arizona and they scout players and they write reports and they learn how to evaluate, you know, in about a two-week period. And then all of a sudden they write down on their resume that they went to scout school. So that might catch somebody's attention. Okay. I think that's, here's one that I don't know if it applies to your question, but somebody asked me, how do you become a scout? How do you become a coach? How do you become this? I think you do it by doing your job, whatever it is, on a daily basis, and somebody will notice you. You never know who that person is that's going to notice you. And I can give you many, many examples. And the guy that noticed me was Terry Ryan with the twins. You know, I was the scout, or I was the coach at Iowa State, and he was an area scout with the Mets. And he would come out there, and I got to know him. And then, Jerry, when I went to California, he became a scouting director for the Twins. And he had a couple older gentlemen out there scouting him on the West Coast that were a little less than proficient. And he said, you want to get into it? So that's how I got into it, from coaching and playing and somebody recognizing that, hey, this guy's got interest. And I'll tell you another thing that, Jerry, that I think I've been blessed with, and I thought about this about this call. I have been blessed to be around the greatest coaches and teachers in the game. Now, if you got into the business, Megan, it would take you a long time to get to know all those people, but like Augie Garrido at Fullerton, Skip Bertman at LSU. These are world-famous coaches, you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And for some reason, I used to get up in the uh, hotel room with them late at night at the coaches' convention. So they showed an interest in me, or I showed an interest in them. So how do you get the job? Do the best you can. Dig around. There's, we've had scouts that are good scouts that was a mechanic, never played never played a dime and one of the most respected scouts that i know is michael radcliffe who was a scouting director for the twins for 15 years and he's got a bad leg and never played much baseball but you talking about smart and you talking about thorough and you talking about remembering i mean he used to say you know you'd be at a game the area codes where they had five days of kids playing and all of a sudden, he'd say, yeah, that's the same thing he did in the first game and that second at bat. And you think, Jesus, how does he remember that one? <laughs> but Michael Radcliffe is a genius. And the best scout that I ever hired personally uh, didn't know anything about a computer or anything. And now he, he could damn near make a computer. And the other thing about him, he's, he wasn't good enough to play at a good school. So he went to a junior college, and they won the state tournament. And then he got taken to UCLA, and he ended up being the starting shortstop with another big leaguer on the team. And he just he just overexceeded, and I was fortunate enough to get him in the scouting business. So there's two good examples of completely different people. Yeah. And Mike Radcliffe was in the Cargill uh management program up in Minneapolis. So he wasn't going to be a scout. Right. Well, that's so awesome. it's crazy. 
kind of what you were what were, you were saying though is it doesn't necessarily have to be a job in baseball although i'm sure that helps your your credibility right when becoming a scout in that particular sport yep you think you can teach scouting some but the the true instinctual guy that's that's a little different you know what i mean yeah some people got desire and willingness to work and travel and they'll see enough players that they'll grow and they'll, uh, that guy's better than the other things I've been seeing. But the the true key is to have an instinct or two. And I'll tell you one thing. I've got a nephew. His name is Billy Corrigan. And currently he is the national cross checker for the Minnesota Twins. Now that sounds like it's a family deal. No, what happened was one of, the scouts that I worked with, he said, would you think Billy'd have any interest? And I said, I don't know, call him. And he called him and they flew him to Nashville and he interviewed for the job. And he said, the guy told me, he said, after about 10 minutes, they knew that that was going to be a good fit. Well, they moved him. He was living in here in Florida, going to college and they moved him to uh, Lexington, Kentucky, and he ran that area, Ohio and West Virginia and all that. And then he moved to Florida and then he became the East Coast supervisor. And right now, currently, he is the Minnesota Twins national cross checker. So he goes and sees nothing, you know, nothing but the best players. Wow, that's awesome. That's pretty that's good. That's an yeah. interesting thing. And I did not give him the job. He earned it. Good. Yeah. Great. But that's an example of somebody seeing, you know, they they just were around Billy and around our apartment or house or whatever. Yeah, damn, he's a sharp little guy, you know. Yeah. And they interviewed him and he had grown up in my household and his brother is about like me and his grandpa's ridiculously baseball. And now he is deep into it, Jerry. He is deep into scouting. When you... Like with the Minnesota Twins, Larry, or, or, you know, any of these teams, how many scouts are there? Well, just about looking at the standings is kind of a little bit of an indicator is how much money you got. Now, I'm not saying it's just, I'm not answering your question, but some people have more and some people have less. So let's say the Dodgers, they might have 42 guys. They might have pro scouts, amateur scouts, international scouts. You know what I mean? It's just yeah. 50, you know? And then uh, Kansas City, you know, they're going to they're gonna, you know, do it the way they do it, and they're going to try to do it as the best they can. You know what I mean? So I remember the Braves used to always have a lot of people. But Oakland, Oakland didn't have any. And then the biggest thing, Megan, is when Houston's, Jeff Lunau became the general manager from he left St. Louis and went to Houston and he eliminated the scouts. So you ask me the question, some teams got 50 or 60 or 30 or 40 and some scouts have zero that they're coming back. Now, Houston, they'd seen that it didn't work. I, um, I was going to say, how in the heck would you, how how would you? They went analytics, Jerry. They oh, went one hundred percent analytics. How fast the ball's spinning? How fast is bat? You know what I mean? Where you're trying to figure it out out there watching them, and they're figuring it out in the office looking at a piece of paper. Yeah, you know, if that makes sense, and that's not critical, but you got to have a little feel. Somebody out in the, you know, the guy might be a heroin addict. You know, you got to have somebody out there that knows it. Right. You know what I mean? Well, I, I mean, you know, I've dealt with a, a million coaches in my, in my time and, and, you know, the, the recruiting and all that stuff. And, and you, you hit this with your tools when you talk about that. But I think even as an athletic trainer, when I watched all the practices I watched and watch how kids work and perform, you know, there's a lot you can tell by just body language. You know, and and that that to me is critical. When somebody's not looking at you, right? They didn't think that Jerry Kolaski was looking at him as a basketball player or a football player, but 
that's how you do it. Geez, that kid works hard. He might be a good athletic director someday. Right. I mean, you, you know, the makeup is the makeup and it's big. It's huge. It's huge. Yeah, it, it really is. I mean, and that, you know, again, you know, looking at that whole business of scouting, I was always fascinated with that because there are just so many good baseball players, you know, from all over the world now. And to, to you know, redefine those baseball players to get to that National League level, you know, really takes a, a pretty, you know, talented guy. I mean, you guys don't miss that much, you know, in, in what you do. We miss quite a bit later on. We do. We miss. We miss. We miss bigger than that. Do you I really? didn't think Dust. I didn't think Dustin Pedroia was any good, and I bet a steak dinner that he'd never play in the big leagues. Well, he did. He's um, MVP. So yeah. Well, I legendary guess. Larry, the legendary Larry Corgan. He missed. <laughs> well, I'll but I mean, you. really, when I when I yeah, I know what you're saying, Larry. But you still, it, it, you know, you had to know what you're doing. I mean, you you're not. Let's say you you're trying to push a hundred guys, yeah. You're not going to miss ninety five times, right? I mean, yeah. you, you know, you 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 kind of know what you're doing in the business. But I know there's misses. I'm sure there are, and and believe me, I I've said a lot of those things too. You know, working in the field, you know, just you know, people say, "Well, this guy," and I'm like, "Ah, eh, they'll, they'll never play in the NFL, or they'll never play," and they go on to be great players. You know, so. Yeah. I think that happens, but you still have to know, you still have to have the talent that you had to be able to evaluate somebody to get to that level. Yeah. I'll tell you an interesting one, try to keep the people's attention, but uh, one year a kid was a junior in high school and I went out and saw him in this big tournament out in, uh, at San Jose. And uh, a famous guy named Derek Lee was on his team and somebody else was on his team and somebody else was on his team. And I watched that tournament and all that. And the next year, he's now a senior in high school. And all of a sudden they say, hey, what about going down there and see that guy? And I thought, God damn, he was a, he was a little bit heavy and pudgy and fat. And holy Christ, I'm going to go see him? <laughs> well, I go down there and... I'll tell you, it's the truth. I watched him get off the bus, and he looked like a Greek guy. So how far off could I have been to think this guy was a big, fat guy? <laughs> well, I watched, watched him play, and he playing on a, a, a Colt League field. It's too little for him, you know? Yeah. And he really froze. So he was out there about 30 feet in center field, and, geez, he couldn't. You know, he that home plate was too close to him. <laughs> yeah. And then he batted and they walked him and all this. And then I got to see where he swung at a high fastball. And boy, that yeah, that looked all right. And he fouled it off. But a high fastball, one look. Okay, okay, that's what I'm going on. All right. And then I leave that game and we get to the meeting, we talk about him a lot more. But the guy that the supervisor in the middle said he'll be the quickest kid out of high school to the major leagues. That's what Mike Radcliffe said. Yeah. And I said, damn, that's my Midwest supervisor. I better go with him. And that's all I saw was him make one good swing. And he ended up being Tory Hunter. Wow. <laughs> who has a great body who does this and he's a great kid. Yeah. And I'll tell you another one that might be interesting to the fans out there. I was at kind of my retirement banquet at the stadium over here in Twins. And uh, the whole organization was there. The coaches, the scouts, the development, the medical people, everybody was there. And what the Twins had done is they had hired three guys within the last six months to be on the twins upper management staff of assistant to the general manager or advisor to the general manager. But let me tell you, they picked the right guys. 
honest to God, I don't know how these new people knew unless they did some research, but they took Latroy Hawkins, who is a superstar makeup-wise. They took Tori Hunter, who I would say is a superstar in the makeup category. And then they took Michael Kadai, and he is unbelievable. Tori Hunter, who's a great guy, was born and raised in Pine Bluff, Arkansas. Holy cow, nobody comes out of Pine Bluff. <laughs> now, the greatest person in the world. And Jerry, you know this one. Latroy came from Gary, Indiana. Oh, wow. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And then Michael Kadire came from a nicer area in Virginia Beach. So, makeup is an individual thing and it can come from anywhere. Yeah. I would say you would say Rick Wesley has good makeup, and I do. And he come from Central Michigan and Chesaning, Michigan. But look what he's done with his career. And it's because he had makeup and interest and willingness to get better. Right. Well, Larry, speaking of, so you have, you know, kind of given us a couple of your misses in your career. If you can think through and you can name one name of the best player that you feel you have ever brought to the twins as a scout, what would that name be? That's an interesting question for the fact that how you ended it, instead of saying who's the greatest player you ever saw, you said who was the greatest player that I saw and brought to the twins. Yes. That's a different question. Okay, well, how about you give us both answers? I I would say Chuck Knobloch would be my one of my best identifications. And did you you say, uh, did you sign him? No, we signed him. The local guy, you know, and and then the Midwest supervisor and then the director, you know what I mean? We signed him, the twins. Right. So when he doesn't make it, we took him. And when he does make it, we took him. All right, now I'll tell you about Chuck Nabla. I'm out at me and Ed's baseball tournament at Vegas, Jerry. Yep. And I'm watching the big tournament, and I'm looking, and I'm watching and taking my notes and watching and taking my notes. And, God dang, this little little shortstop for Texas A&M, he kind of excites me a little bit. And I'll tell you what I was excited about, Megan, is that when they got pounded that day, he was running out in the outfield to get relays. And his head would always be swiveling towards home plate or where the runners were. And I just kind of liked the attentiveness and the focus and all that. And then he happened to hit and he happened to do this and can do some things. And I'm thinking, damn, he's pretty good. So I called Terry Ryan, the scouting director. And I say, I just saw a little kid named Knobloch that excited me. Holy cow. And he says, oh, I just saw him last week. And he pulled out, let me get my card. He pulled his card out. He says, nah, not, I didn't see much. I'm thinking, dang. And then he said, I'll call Marty, who was the scout for Texas. And he called Marty, and Marty's, nah, he didn't think of it. So now what are you doing? You're thinking, holy Christ, I can't pick a player. <laughs> you yeah. know what I mean? How can I, how can I be so far off on this player? Yeah. Well, the next year or that summer, Chuck went to the Cape Cod League and he was MVP and he won the home run hitting contest with Frank Thomas and Mo Vaughn. And we took him in the first round. So I feel good about that one. <laughs> Absolutely. <There you> go. <laughs> Another one that I'm proud of in the exact same draft was Marty Cordova. And he went to Orange Coast Junior College. He's Vegas boy. Yeah. He went to Gorman and uh, he went on to be rookie of the year. So in one draft, we got two rookies of the year. Wow. Now I'll tell you a story about the greatest draft that never happened. (laughs) I'll take this one real quick. Okay. Okay. Chuck Knobloch in the first round. 
In the second round, it happened to be the second round, but we were looking all year for a power-hitting outfielder. That's what we were looking for. We were looking for a power-hitting outfielder. Well, we took somebody in the second round. In the third round, we took Denny Nagel, who went on to be a 20-game winner in about 10 minutes. Yep. And then Scott Erickson from the University of Arizona, he is a 20-game winner and world champion in about two days and so forth. And we got Cordova in that draft, and I think Trombley and Eddie Guardado and some other people. Well, the guy that killed us is we took John Gump, G-U-M-P-F. You probably know his wife is the basketball coach or something at Notre Dame. But yeah. He didn't make and Tim Salmon was the guy that we passed on. So we could have got Knobloch, Salmon, Erickson, Nagel, Cordova, all in one draft. But it's the greatest draft that never happened. <laughs> <laughs> well, Larry, um, I will say this. You started out saying you don't want to brag on yourself, but I'll brag a little bit about your misses because in 2016, you were named the Midwest Scout of the Year, and in 2017, um, you were named to the 13th member of the Fort Myers Miracle Pro Scout Hall of Fame. So that's that's a pretty good way to end your career, and I'm sure it's certainly uh, the Minnesota Twins, and I know you worked with the Pirates as well, but I'm sure that those people are very uh, pleased of the job that you did for them because I know you know, getting to know you at Iowa State, I know what your work ethic was. And I know if you did miss, it certainly was, wasn't was for lack of effort. So congratulations on a great career. And, uh, and one of the things I'm most proud of, Jerry, is my Iowa State Hall of Fame. That's right. Yeah, you were in Iowa State. I, would, I wasn't going to go to it. You know, uh, this is a waste of time. I'm not going to go back there. I went back there, and I mean, they humbled me to death. <laughs> how nice and how how they treated me and Barry Stevens and whoever else, all that. So, yeah. That's and cool. the answer, Megan, is Alex Rodriguez, the best player I ever saw. Alex Rodriguez. Nice. Nice. One day, Lori and I went over to Westminster Christian High School in Miami. We went to watch the game. That night, I was going to go to the University of Miami. So all of a sudden we get to this game and this kids get, they, they're winning 11 to nothing at the end of the first inning. And this kid was on that team and I saw, and then all of a sudden he was at the Miami game that night. And I said to our area scout, I said, can he take it? If, you know, can he handle it? And he said, oh yeah, he can handle it. So I went up and told him, I said, I didn't say you were a dog, but today you had the tendencies of a dog. <laughs> he said, what do you mean? I said, don't go home and tell your mom I called you a dog. But today you had the tendency of a dog. Remember when you stole second and didn't slide? Remember when you stole third and didn't slide? And then you called timeout, went over and stretched your legs and all that? That, that ain't the way you do it. So then I, I told him, I said, where do you want to get drafted? He said, well, I'd like to get drafted in the first round. I said, God damn it, where do you want to get drafted? He said, well, I'd like to be number one. And I said, okay, they're going to watch you get off the bus. They're going to watch you tie your shoes. They're going to watch you talk to your teammates. They're going to watch you stretch. We're going to watch you play catch. All those things we're going to watch you do. And I didn't call you a dog. Don't go home and tell your mom. <laughs> so the next summer, I'm out at a Northeast, South, and West USA thing. And all of a sudden, this kid's in the game for the South. And he does okay in the first game and he comes up and he sets by me and everybody goes what the hell is this guy setting by you up here so he sat there with me the whole game and then the next day he come up and sat by me and I, he said how they do and i said well you didn't run very good you didn't do this you didn't do that and uh he said well i'll show you and then the next day he hit two home runs to the right and then he come up and he sat and he ran about four flat and i said that's the way you're supposed to do it so now the next year i'm out at cal state fullerton and they're from Miami, and they're playing in the tournament. And I'm sitting up in the bleachers, or that stadium. And uh, I see him sitting down there in front of me. And all of a sudden, he looks and sees me. And all of a sudden, he jumped over about four rows of seating. And he said, hey, you haven't come to see me this year. You haven't come to see me this year. And I said, 
I said, I don't need to because they say the kid in Miami's playing his butt off. Alex Rodriguez, who I told <laughs> him he wasn't good enough or it wasn't acceptable. <laughs> so that's one of my that's, that's one of my things that I'm known for. And I I I had been in contact with Alex and stuff like that. And nice. there's many more, there's many more stories. Oh, I'm sure. Well, Larry, we um we pr- I definitely appreciate, man. It's been really, really good to reconnect with you and and listen to your stories. And I'm sure, you know, our audience will enjoy it as well. And, and you know, the, the whole scouting thing has always been intriguing to me. So I appreciate you taking the time, my friend. And I, I will definitely not let 40 years go by without, you know, reaching out <laughs> to you again. Sure. And uh, maybe we'll get you back on the show at some other point in time. But thanks so much. Um, definitely appreciate it. And wish you all the best and, and, and continue your recovery with your stroke and, and hope, hope you do well. Thank you, Jerry. Absolutely. Well, thanks again, thanks, Larry. Larry. You take care. All right. You take care. All right. Thank Larry. you, Larry. Thanks a lot. Really appreciate it, buddy. Bye. Bye. All right. Another great episode. I mean, that's cool. You know, the scouting thing is, as we talked about before the, uh, the episode too, it's, it's, uh, interesting, you know, and I think there's a lot of people in, even people who are versed in, in sports, probably that's an aspect of it that a lot of people don't know about unless you are a scout or have a family member that's been a scout or things like that. It is. It's, a, it's you know, and Larry is, I mean, he's one of those guys, that, you know, dedicated his career to it. Um, and, and, you know, like you have to know what you're doing, but it's it's kind of a, I, I, like an underworld job, you know, these guys show up at games and they bring their radar guns and they sit there and take notes and this, and then they, you know, like I said, they have to write reports. And, uh, I've always found it very intriguing. I've always found, you know, it's like anything else. Those guys really are responsible for the success that is created at higher levels. You know, when these kids go from single way to double way to triple way to the major league. So, it was good to hear those stories, and I bear, I guarantee you Larry probably has a million of those kind of stories of going to all kind of different ballparks and picking out the Alex Rodriguez's of the world or the Chuck Knobloch's of the world, you know, and sometimes they win, sometimes they lose, but uh, but it was good, and it was really good to reconnect with him. So um, thanks, everybody, for listening. Hope you enjoyed it, and we'll see you the next time on Cutty and the Cooch. Thanks for listening, everyone. Um, Wherever you're streaming this podcast, if you would be so kind as to give us a subscribe and maybe even a review. In addition, you can find us for any updates on social media, Facebook or Instagram. Our handle is at Cuddy and the Cooge. Cuddy with a C, Cooge with a K. Or you can email any questions or submit any feedback to Cuddy and the Cooge at gmail.com. We would love to hear from you.